Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The discovery of the Nag Hammadi library in 1945 is, along with the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the most significant archaeological discoveries of the 20th century. It gave us writings from some of the earliest Christians, writings that were not included in the eventually canonized New Testament, and which gave us unprecedented insight into some of these early movements uh, that we previously only knew from second-hand, often critical accounts. It is, for example, in these writings that we now have access to the writings of these so-called Gnostics, as well as many other groups. Now, one of the most famous, maybe the most famous and mysterious text from the Nag Hammadi library is the so-called Gospel of Thomas. A book that often defies any clear association with the known groups of early Christianity, and which includes some really sometimes surprising sayings from Jesus. The canonical New Testament that we all know and love include four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They serve as the basis for information about the life, sayings, and teachings of Jesus to Christians around the world. But as most of us know, there were many other Gospels and accounts as well. The canonization process was a gradual one, but really solidified around the 4th century. Before this time, and indeed after, there existed many other Gospels and accounts of Jesus' life and teachings which were favored by other groups than those that became known as quote-unquote orthodox. And one of these is the fascinating Gospel of Thomas, which offers some teachings of Jesus that seem very odd in comparison to the Synoptic Gospels, even to sometimes contradict them. Indeed, this is a gospel that seems to have a pretty radically different theology and which was likely favored by a group of early Christians quite different from the proto-Orthodox. So what's going on with this text? The Gospel of Thomas is kind of just that, a gospel. It is an account of Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus Christ, but it differs pretty drastically from the gospels that we know. In fact, Thomas is not an account of Jesus' life that gives us any biographical information. Instead, it is simply a collection of sayings that Jesus conveyed to his disciples. Indeed, the whole gospel begins with the words, quote, 
These are the hidden sayings that the living Jesus spoke and Judas Thomas the twin recorded. What follows is basically a list of sayings, 114 in total, without any sort of context or biographical material. But the quotes themselves are really fascinating for various reasons. Many of these sayings we recognize from the canonical gospels, but many others are totally unique. As an example, we all recognize sayings like, quote, You see the speck that is in your sibling's eye, but you do not see the beam that is in your own eye which is the 26th saying in Thomas, but can also be found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So what's in this Gospel? First of all, we can address the question whether or not it is a so-called Gnostic Gospel, which is how it has been often uh, characterized. If we talk about the Gospel of Thomas, many people will say that this is the most famous Gnostic Gospel, so-called. But is this actually accurate? It is true that it was found at Nag Hammadi among a bunch of books that can certainly be labeled as Gnostic, but this situation is in fact quite complicated. There is a huge debate over whether or not this term can be used at all as a designation for a movement in antiquity. Early Christianity was an explosion of different ideas and tendencies, and it's difficult to talk about any specific quote-unquote groups or coherent movements as such. But we have certain doctrinal tendencies and schools of thought in this period which are often associated with so-called Gnosticism and which have certain characteristics. In particular, as David Brackey argues, the group that is often referred to as the Sethians is perhaps the group that can most rightfully be referred to as the Gnostics. Other groups like the Valentinians and Marcionats will also often be labeled as Gnostics because they hold similar ideas, but there is a huge scholarly debate about this term, if it can be used at all, if it should be used, who should it, who should it be applied to, and so on. It's a difficult topic, and if you want to know more about that, you should... Uh, advise my earlier episode about the Gnostics. So is the Gospel of Thomas part of that Gnostic movement? Well, it's very uncertain. The sayings in Thomas contain very little reference to the characteristic doctrines of the Gnostics, such as an ignorant demiurge as the creator of the world, or the concept of the Barbalo as a first eon or principle. Now, this has led some scholars to argue, and I tend to agree with them, that Thomas is not necessarily a Gnostic gospel, or shouldn't be called a Gnostic gospel, but represents another theological tendency entirely in the early diversity of Christianity. It has some affinities with the teachings of the canonical gospels, as well as some similarities with the Gnostic schools, but also differ in unique ways of its own from both of them. Indeed, the Gospel of Thomas fundamentally differs from key teachings of mainstream Christianity. In Christianity as we know it, Jesus is the incarnation of the Word of God, which brings salvation to humanity by dying on the cross for our sins. But in the Gospel of Thomas, the death and crucifixion of Jesus is never even mentioned. It's not an important aspect of this theology at all. Jesus does not bring salvation through his death. Instead, when we read Thomas, it becomes clear that it is the very teachings of Jesus and the following of those teachings that will lead the person to salvation by gaining knowledge of his true self. The first saying in the gospel goes like this, quote, And he said, Whoever discovers the interpretation of these sayings will not taste death. In the teachings of Thomas, us humans don't belong to this material world and body. Our true home and true nature is in the spiritual world of wholeness. 
we can attain salvation by gaining true knowledge or gnosis of our essential reality or our true selves. And Jesus is the figure who helps us discover this. Jesus represents the divine presence and wisdom speaking to us, reminding us of who we really are. He comes from the spiritual world of unity, our true home, to save us from this illusory material existence. Quote, I am the one who comes from what is whole. I was given from the things of my Father. Jesus said, I disclose my mysteries to those who are worthy of my mysteries. In fact, the Gospel of Thomas seems to reveal a theology where the imminence of God is emphasized. Jesus, or God, is present everywhere at all times. Quote, Jesus said, I am the light that is over all things. I am all. From me all has come forth, and to me all has reached. Split a piece of wood, I am there. Lift up the stone and you will find me there. God, or Jesus, is the light that, in some sense, is all things. He is present everywhere, including in the human self. Thus, Jesus calls us to know his words and to know him as that reality, and through that knowledge, know ourselves. To know God is to know yourself, and vice versa. In some way, we become Jesus, or God, when we turn away from darkness and towards the light that is hidden within us. Quote, Jesus said, Whoever drinks from my mouth will become like me. I myself shall become that person, and the hidden things will be revealed to that person. This is pretty different from at least most interpretations of mainstream Christianity. We aren't saved because Jesus dies on the cross, but because he teaches us to know ourselves and to know him as the light that is present in all existence through that self-knowledge of ourselves. And even such a core feature of Jesus' teachings, like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, is given radically different interpretations in the Gospel of Thomas. While the canonical Gospels, and Orthodox Christianity in general, seem to indicate that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is an event that is coming in the future. Jesus tells his disciples to get ready for this event when all people will be judged by God and the new divine era will be inaugurated. This is not only not present in Thomas, it is outright rejected. The kingdom of God is not coming in the future, and neither is it a place at all. Instead, Jesus tells us that the kingdom is already here, it's everywhere and within us. This interpretation is not unheard of in Christianity, of course, but it is more explicit in Thomas. In one of the most famous sayings from the gospel, Jesus says, quote, If your leaders say to you, look, the kingdom is in heaven, then the birds of heaven will precede you. If they say to you it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, the kingdom is inside you, and it is outside you. When you know yourselves, then you will be known, and you will understand that you are the children of the living Father. But if you do not know yourselves, then you will dwell in poverty, and you are poverty." This quote, which comes at the very beginning of the text, kind of summarizes the entire message and theology of the Gospel of Thomas. The kingdom is already here, within us and within all things. It's not that it's coming and we need to prepare, it has already arrived, but people can't see it. At least those people that haven't received Jesus' real message. And at the end of the text, it kind of circles back and seals the deal, right? It's a nice sort of full circle when he says, quote, His disciples said to him, when will the kingdom come? Jesus says, It will not come by watching for it. 
Rather, the Father's kingdom is spread out upon the earth, and people do not see it. As you can tell, this is a truly unique and fascinating interpretation of Jesus and his teachings. And it really shows us how diverse and varied early Christianity was. There were many different groups or tendencies that were in dialogue and sometimes also in conflict with each other. Thomas represents one of those tendencies that did not become part of the later orthodoxy. But luckily we now have access to this text, for example, which gives us fascinating insights into this particular, if you could call it a school of thought or a theological tendency or whatever it is, whatever this text represents, right, we now can access it at least somewhat from this text, which is just so amazing. It's probably the most famous non-canonical gospel in the world, and perhaps for good reason, given how amazingly interesting its contents are. But because of this, there are also many, let's say, less than scholarly interpretations and claims made about it. There's a big debate about when it was written and its relationship with the other gospels, some claiming that it's the earliest source for Jesus' sayings and that the other gospels drew inspiration from it. But what do we actually know about this text from a historical, scholarly perspective? Well, we aren't perhaps all that surprised to learn that there really isn't much in terms of a consensus. We have known about a Gospel of Thomas for a long time, since some of the early church fathers mentioned it in their writings. For example, the famous Christian philosopher Origen of Alexandria mentioned it in one of his writings. Quote, the church has four Gospels. Heretics have very many. I know one Gospel called according to Thomas, and another according to Matthias. We have read many others too, lest we appear ignorant of anything, because of those people who think they know something if they have examined these Gospels. He is obviously not a fan of this supposed Gospel of Thomas, which could be referring to the text we have talked about today, but might also refer to the so-called Infancy Gospel of Thomas, which has an annoyingly similar name. Regardless, the discovery of the text at Nag Hammadi has revolutionized our understanding of it. It only survives in one Coptic copy, dating from the early 4th century. But scholars are fairly certain that the original text itself, probably written in Greek, originates much further back. In fact, basically no one would say that the text was composed any later than the year 200. But aside from this, scholars disagree greatly. We simply don't know for sure when Thomas was written. The historians and biblical scholars sometimes fall into two general camps, those who adhere to an early composition and those who believe in a late composition, or later composition, I guess. Some, those of the first camp, believe that Thomas was composed in the first century, around the same time that the four canonical gospels came to be. Some argue that it might even have been earlier than them. Others, and I would probably say the majority of scholars today, but keep in mind that there's nothing in terms of a consensus here, but probably the majority of scholars today argue that the text was actually composed in the early 2nd century, so a few decades after the four, you know, John, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, right? Uh, but again, no complete agreement exists here, right? Many scholars and historians do tend to believe that it was written much earlier in the first century sometime. Uh, some even believe that it was earlier, like I said, earlier than the canonical gospels before the year 70. We're obviously not going to solve this issue today, so if you're interested in diving into the history of the manuscripts and the different scholarly 
opinions about the dating of this uh, text, then you should check out some of the dedicated research. And I'll always, as always, leave some sources and links in the description if you want to check that out. But this topic is, of course, significant because it has implications in terms of the relationship of Thomas to the other Gospels. As we saw, many of the sayings in Thomas correspond to the sayings in the Synoptic Gospels, almost around half of them, in fact. So the question becomes, did Thomas use the other Gospels as a source for these sayings, or was it the other way around? Alternatively, which Christians would of course argue, do they all perhaps represent actual sayings of Jesus that were preserved independently in both texts? Opinions about who influenced who will of course change depending on when you believe that the Gospel of Thomas was composed. So if you believe that it was composed before or at the same time as the canonical Gospels, then maybe you'll will be of the opinion that Thomas influenced them, whereas if it was written after, in the early 2nd century, then obviously uh, an argument could be made for the fact that Thomas might be drawing from the Synoptic Gospels. So, you know, it's hard to say. It's all very enticing and fascinating to think about. Who was inspired by who, and which, if any of these sayings, actually go back to Jesus? At the very least, it does tell us that texts that were written roughly at the same time came to represent Jesus and sometimes the very sayings of Jesus in radically different ways. I'll see you next time.